from Johannesburg to Jerusalem, the world is always changing, growing and innovating. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he brings you the trendsetters, the thought leaders and those creating news before it happens. Only on the New Blue Review, your favorite Jewish culture and current affairs show. Every Monday at 9 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. Listening to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the show on this Monday morning just before Rosh Hashanah. Fantastic to be with you and I hope that you are enjoying spring which is sprunging all over Johannesburg and uh, that you are getting ready for a fantastic new year ahead. And we've got the exact kind of show that I like to bring to you on a new year. Later on, we're going to be talking to Rob Hutchinson. He is from Dear South Africa. We're going to be talking about a victory against a stupid piece of government legislation that uh, we helped on the show to deal with. So you'll get some nice feedback on that. So do stay tuned at about 20 to 10. But first up, I'm excited to be looking at all sorts of things in one architectural project. We're talking about Jewish education. We're talking about ancient uh, Hebrew and modern Hebrew. We're talking about modern Jerusalem. We're talking about community libraries. And the man that's going to help us do it is Louis Levine, who is an architect who deals in Jewish structures. And he's worked on all sorts of things uh, in South Africa, and particularly the Jewish community. And uh, he's, he's helped with shuls and he's helped with schools and he's helped with the Holocaust Center. He's even helped with places in the Northwest and uh, he joins us all the way from the Netherlands. Lewis, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being with us. Good morning, Benji. Good morning to South Africans, South African Jews preparing for Rosh Hashanah. It's wonderful to be with you. Really, really nice to have you on the show and to, to be talking about a really interesting project, Lewis, which is an outdoor library that is being built in the Jerusalem neighborhood of Talpiot, has been built and has all sorts of interesting historical meanings and and is also being built in the memory of a very important uh, South African educator. So maybe let's start there. Uh, his name is Rabbi Isaac Goss. And how did he get involved with a community library, at least his memory, get involved with a community library uh, in, in Talpiot in Jerusalem? Rabbi Goss was one of the great intellectual educators in South Africa who almost single-handedly developed the day school movement. King David movement that we know, that a lot of us are graduates of, Herzliya, um, even, you know, other uh, um, cities. And he formulated this policy in the 30s and 40s of how to educate young Jews who were primarily goers. That's what their education was. And he formulated this idea that Jews should have a national religious education in a day school format. And this was revolutionary at the time. This was before the state of Israel, when parents didn't really see the value of creating a day school. But he formulated the day school with deep philosophical, ideological, and powerfully Jewish values and traditions. He wanted to breed a culture of young Jewish intellectuals who would feel comfortable reading the Makorot, the Jewish sources, but equally comfortable 
in the Western world of intellectual ideas. He wanted to create children who would love ritual, who would love poetry, who would love Torah, but would also feel at home with the great works of literature, with Shakespeare, with George Bernard Shaw. And his great policy was if you don't, if you only know Judaism, then you don't even know Judaism. Now, this man was an important part of my life. He taught me. I was a friend of his family. But his memory in South Africa has been largely forgotten. We see a few photographs of him at the Jewish Board of Education and a few memorial plaques here and there. But he is a monumental figure, a champion of ideas. And I've always thought of some, I've always pondered some way of commemorating this man, this, this huge intellectual, this visionary um, who changed all our lives. And I discussed this often with a friend of mine, Colin Shachat, who was also a student of his. And we thought about all sorts of things, a book, and a series of articles. But then a project came my way and I was able to join the dots and give a structure, an artistic creation that would pay homage to this wonderful educator. So now we're going to come back to Rabbi Goss in a little bit, but I want to talk about the actual place itself, right? The where you put the structure in, we can talk about the structure as well, which is fascinating in and of itself. But the actual area where you decided to go about doing this is in Telpiot in, in Jerusalem. Uh, give us a bit of a background as where is it in relation to Jerusalem in terms of the, the, the geography of the city? And why is it important from a literary and community background? Because that helps us just to really get it situated, the whole thing. So that is the key question, Benji. Talpiot is in the south of Jerusalem. It's one of the oldest neighborhoods. It was built um, It was in the 20s by a famous architect, Kaufman, who presented a plan for a garden suburb. You know, it was before the state. There was development. And this neighborhood was proposed to have low buildings, to have trees. But this neighborhood began to attract great Jewish intellectuals. It attracted, of course, Joseph Klausner, the famous historian. It attracted the founder of the Hebrew language, Eliezer ben Yehuda. It attracted Abel Pan, the great artists, Art Deco artists who started Bezalel School. And of course, the greatest son of Talpiot is Shai Agnon, the winner of the Nobel Prize and the great Israeli writer and thinker. So, why Talpiot? Well, I had a good friend, Michelle Smith. She was a partner many years ago in South Africa, and she was living in Talpiot. And on a visit, I went to see what the neighborhood was about. And she showed me an astonishing thing. She showed me what was happening in Talpiot. So that's the history of why. And I can tell you how we got from there. One last point. A lot of South Africans, a lot of South African Jewish students know Talpiot well because they spent their Ulpan years there at Kiryat Moria. Kiryat Moria was the destination of a lot of 
Ulpanics had our first exposure to Israel there, to Hebrew, to Torah, and to Judaism in an Israeli context. So, I'll tell you how we got to Talpiot. So, yeah, you'll talk to us about Talpiot and, and how you got there. But I'm also interested in the actual physical area. So there's these luminaries that are there. But the actual geography of the place from the sense of place perspective is quite unique as well. So talk to us about that and the libraries and the shuls and the houses, that, you know, the tourist attractions. What is that like? Because that also helped you with the decision. So, you know, the word Talpiot is from the Shira Shirim. Um, it means turrets. It also is mentioned in the Talmud, Tal, the, the hill of Piot, of mount, of, of mouths. Okay. It is, and it is an, it's an astonishing neighborhood because it's on a promontory. It's on a hill overlooking the old city. We know the Tayelet. A lot of people have walked along the Tayelet, which is on the edge of Talpiot. So, it presents this wonderful vista, both to the city and both to the Dead Sea. You know, it's it's on a mountain. It was actually important in the context of the wars um, because it was between you know the Jewish settlement and uh, and, in, and and Arab villages. You know, Abu Tor was in the way, but it's a garden city. There are boulevards, there are parks, and what's happened over the years in these parks and especially since COVID, is that more and more people are choosing to meet outdoors instead of in buildings. And the phenomenon has developed over the last number of years of people gathering to exchange books. Communities of volunteers realize that let's make places within the parks amongst the old historic trees, these wonderful cypresses, Let's make place to exchange books. And that's when this whole idea developed in Jerusalem and in other neighborhoods where volunteers would group together, design a structure, create a, I mean, you know, South Africans know what a, a shack is, like a kaya, you know. But this was more than that. It was a kind of hut, an outdoor Bus shelter, as it were, where people would deposit books. But it all depended upon passionate volunteers who believed that you can now move books around different ages and different populations. And I'll tell you my part in how that happened. So people came, they were exchanging these books. And I don't know, was it very formal? Was there like a ghoul form that, that people would do it? Or do you just yank it off the shelf and replace it with something else? How does the system work to keep it uh, fair and interesting? So they would build the, the, the first one that I visited was a structure. Believe it or not, Benji, this structure was made out of books. I don't know if you've seen the Encyclopedia Britannica turned into a wall or an Encyclopedia Judaica turned into a wall. You know, there are so many people who are disposing of encyclopedias. You remember when we were growing up, we had the World Book. We had the Britannica. Remember that? Every Jewish house had to have a World Book, a Britannica, and an Encyclopedia Judaica. Now, of course, with all the information on the Internet, what do you want to do with all of these books? You just, do you give them away? Who will take them? Libraries don't want them. So the first library in Talpiot was built by a team of volunteers. 
that my friend Michelle was involved with, and they would glue the books together, and they would make columns. They would make roofs. It's um, you can look at it on their their Facebook page. It's a building made out of books. But of course, you know, being an architect, I'll tell you the first rule of architecture is that you've got to survive the elements. And books don't survive rain and storms and wind and snow, no matter how much you coat them and you paint over them. So I came to this library and I thought, what a beautiful idea. But it's falling apart. The books are returning to nature. They're returning to to mud and to dust and to trees. And I said, look, let's try. Let's try and make a new library. Let's explore all the exciting ideas of urban sculpture, urban places that I've seen in Europe and in Israel, and let's revive this library um, and create, formalize an institution. Because, you know, you ask how these libraries developed. The Colonel is a group of volunteers. Volunteers would collect books, boxes of them, every morning in Jerusalem, Talpiot, in other neighborhoods as well, in Kevet, Baka, they would collect these books and they would then put them on shelves and then they would store them and they would select. A lot of them were English books because so many people wanted to get rid of books that many people still wanted to read books. That's how our project started. We're talking today to Louis Levine. He is an architect living in the Netherlands. He's a South African. We're talking about the community book library that he's been working on in Talpiot. From Johannesburg to Jerusalem, the world is always changing, growing, and innovating. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he brings you the trendsetters, the thought leaders, and those creating news before it happens. Only on the New Blue Review, your favorite Jewish culture and current affairs show. Every Monday at 9 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. You're back with 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review talking to Louis Levine about his community library project in Talbiot in Jerusalem and just getting a fascinating literary history of that part of the city and uh, South Africa as well. So, Lewis, once you decided that actually the volunteers were not quite getting it right from a strictly architectural perspective, how did you then go about getting involved and figuring out how you could make this community project a little bit more permanent from an in-structure perspective? Benji, I've always had a fascination with modular steel construction, with fabrication. Um, A lot of architects and a lot of designers... Um, make drawings, um, renderings, and then they persuade others through emails, threats, love, whatever method, contracts, to go and build what they've envisaged in their minds. Throughout my career, um, I've experimented with another idea, and that is to make a kit of parts like Meccano. I was brought up with the love of Meccano. You remember Meccano the toy? You get this beautiful kit of parts that you join together. So I believe, and I think it's a a very strong idea, that we must use all the modern technology we have, the laser, the printers, fabricating systems that don't involve great craftsmanship, 
make them, cut them out, and then deliver them to a builder who is like a child who assembles them. You see? And I said to my friends in Talpiot, let me try a modular structure. Let me make a kit of Meccano parts that is robust. It will survive the elements. It will be used, it will be made out of renewable materials. And let's try a modular building that possibly we can duplicate. It will be weatherproof. It will be an open space. Um, and we can maybe develop a system that we can then build lots of these libraries in other parts of Israel. And they said, oh, well, that's a good idea. Who's going to pay for it? Um, you know, who, how, how can this work? Can this really work? We've got limited budgets. And I said, you know, a picture paints a thousand words. Let's try some drawings. And let's go to the area of Jerusalem. Let's present the drawings to them. And let them, let's inspire them. Let's inspire them with a new vision of a library. Especially in Talpiot, the suburb of the book. The suburb that produced all this literature that, you know, that we owe literature and culture. And that's how we went about it. So not only did you put together this modular thing, you actually also decided to schlep it all the way from South Africa. You didn't produce it in Israel. What, what was the basis of that decision? I've worked with fabricators in South Africa for so many years. And I've worked with my good friend Donovan Diamond, who fabricates um, a lot of the structures with me. Um, and it was, instead of reinventing the wheel and trying to find Israeli contractors, um, I could work with my existing contractors, with my WhatsApp, with my Zoom, and I could have things laser cut and made in South Africa. First of all, it's a lot cheaper, okay, because um, believe it or not, South Africa is a fabulous place to make buildings and to new tech and to technology. We have a huge mining industrial infrastructure, and I've just piggybacked on all of that. Um, you know, that's what we do as architects. We find out what people build and where they build them. So I started um, cutting and making um, and designing this Makana set of parts. And, of course, South Africa made sense because it was the arena, the birthplace, and the site of activity of Rabbi Goss. And I began to join the dots. I could get donors in South Africa. I could get the students of Rabbi Goss. I could get the memory of Rabbi Goss on the one hand. I could get the fabrication system that I love, the modular laser cutting steel. I could join that all together and create a structure that involved all of these elements. What you spoke about is also renewable materials. So steel is, is something. But what else did you put in that, that sort of made this both resistant to the elements, but also not going to, you know, fill up a landfill for 10,000 years? So, you know, one of the materials that I've loved over the years, um, that I've developed a love affair with, and I must tell you, all architects um, should develop not only love affairs with buildings, but love affairs with materials. And one of the materials is bamboo. Bamboo is this renewable material that is grown in the East, um, and it's slowly beginning to replace hardwoods, because hardwoods, you know, these wonderful trees on our planet, 
that are being decimated for for their for furniture, for their texture and strength. I mean, it takes over a hundred years to produce an oak tree, but yet bamboo can be grown in a matter of weeks. So, the greatest and the biggest supplier of bamboo is right here in the Netherlands, a company called Moso Bamboo, and they have an agent in South Africa, a very nice chap by the name of Andy Page, and he said to me, this is a good project. Jerusalem, renewable, literature, the movement of books, let's use bamboo. And all my shelves are bamboo, and you can see them, um, you know, Maybe you'll show them on the web, on your website. You can go onto the, the website of the, of the library and you will see a combination of steel and bamboo. Now, you had the, you had the launch of this library, uh, fairly recently in the structure. Tell us a little bit about that. Who attended and, and how has the structure been received? Talpiot is celebrating its hundredth year anniversary this year. And there's lots of programs. There's lots of talks. There's lots of media coverage. And it was a great idea to open the library at one of these events. The Iria arranged an event with music, klezmer music, modern Israeli music, talks. Lots of different musicians came along from all over the place. And the mayor of Jerusalem turned up and he gave a speech. And they spoke about the contribution of Talpiot to Israel and to Israeli culture, and they opened up the library. And it was a great event, um, because the library then, in a way, it became this public, uh, you know, this inside-out building, as my friend Johnny Jacobson called it. It's a building that is turned inside out, so people can inhabit it and still be outside. We had a great talk by a great-grandson of Eliezer ben Yehuda, Gil Chovav, who told us the story of Eliezer ben Yehuda. That was a wonderful event taking place at the library. Subsequent to the launch, people come, they sit and they read, they study, they meet each other, they have coffee. It's become a venue for magic shows, for children's birthdays, for arts and crafts workshops, um, all sorts of things, um, outdoor concerts and, and talks. Now, one of the most important parts of this design was that it's a three wing structure. Two are books. One is a display panel and an outdoor art gallery, an outdoor exhibition showcase. Because I thought that, of course, how do you, you've got to, you know, you must exchange books, but you must showcase the heroes of the area. I thought it's a great idea for South Africa as well, by the way. You know, you create an open space, but then you must showcase the heroes that come from that area. And that's what's happened. Schools have adopted that third cabinet to create exhibitions of Jewish life or life that means something to the inhabitants. So you, you talk about application for South Africa. You talk about having these things uh, in other parts of Israel. Obviously, in our context, yeah, everyone always worries about issues like maintenance and that sort of thing. Is it, is it sort of who looks after it? Is it just the community right. so, or is it? Yeah, so those are really important questions, you see. And that's why the kernel of the success of this project depends upon the volunteers. You know, if people feel a fidelity to a project, to a city, they feel that they're personally invested. People come in the morning um, with bottles of window cleaner and they clean it themselves. Nobody asks them. 
But they believe that it's part of their community's responsibility. They love the neighborhood. Somebody might come and clean it. Another person might sweep it. You see, the area and all municipalities are so busy with all sorts of things. So they might take the overall responsibility. They might take the insurance, let's say, because, it, God forbid, you know, something should happen. But the day-to-day -day maintenance takes place amongst the volunteers. And because it's designed in these with very, very sturdy materials that are supposed to survive a long time, aluminium, which is anodized, there's nothing that should rust on this or oxidize. We hope that it'll last a long time. So if people want to see the library, obviously not that much traveling is happening to Israel, but we, I think we have some South Africans still in Opan in Talpiot, so maybe they could uh, trundle on there, maybe take out a book, uh, or if maybe people want to see it online. How can people go about finding out about the, the library if, if it's of interest? So it's on the corner of uh, Levi Affair and Avraham Elitsur. So those are two important uh, street intersections. Levi Affair and uh, Avraham Elitsur. That's if they are there. Okay. If they want to look on the website, there's a very nice Facebook page on um, the library itself, the Talpiot Library, where they can see the library and some of the activities. I'll be updating my um, Instagram page, Lewis Levine, and you'll be able to see it on there, on my Instagram page. Maybe you know, Chai Fem, you could put a little, a few pictures of the, of the library and the processes on the, on the, on your website. But the next project is to develop an app or a media application where we can start showcasing and exploring the ideas of Rabbi Goss. And we will do that shortly. We're currently fundraising for that so that the library and the website or the application, will work in tandem. Mesh Zimmerman, who is an extraordinary figure in the history of South African Jewish education, um, and a good friend of my family, presented me with all the books that he had had of Rabbi Goss. And it's a treasure trove. I know our listeners can't hear this, can't see this, Benji, but I'm holding up just a fragment of books written in the 60s and the 70s of wisdom that needs to be out there. It needs to be delivered to our children. And that's what we're going to do now. And we'll show off the library as well. Well, wish you best of luck with that, Lewis. And when it's ready, please come talk to us again at Chaifem. We'd love to hear about that progress. But it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you and just wanted to wish you and your family Shana Tova there in the Netherlands. And we hope to have you back home soon as well. Absolutely. I'm missing South Africa. I'd love to be back soon. Lewis Levine architect talking to us about the outdoor library of Telpiot.